0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, But the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here to break down everything that happened over the last week in the world of WWE. We're talking SmackDown, we're talking Raw, and we're talking some big numbers for WWE as this climb to prominence, let's even say, continues for the company. We have an absolutely loaded show for you today. Obviously, the trial of the Tribal Chief will be our main event, and we're going to get to that as quickly as we can. First off the top, allow me to remind you that this podcast is all about Defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, and vintage Chris Vanini. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time and leave a five-star written review because if you do, you're going to be like Drew from KU who gets his review read live right here on the show. Five stars from this week. Great show and easy to digest. Showed us a great job of covering what took place, coupled with opinions. Pretty good show. Well, Drew, pretty good review. We appreciate you for doing that. And of course, we acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. I should say Twitter and threads at Getting Overcast, where you can get episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff. Just by following us on social media. You also get to send in DM questions, thoughts, and comments to the show, and we will read those live on air when appropriate. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do too, because for only five bucks a month, you can become an official getting overhead. Joining us at buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. It is just like a Patreon. You get bonus audio, news posts, and more every single week. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash over. Our latest two getting overheads are Nicholas V, who wrote great content at all times, and Sam D, who wrote, the podcast is great, getting access to the reporting is even better. Thanks to both of you for signing up. And just like with Drew, allow me to acknowledge you. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement acknowledge. right there. Acknowledge. Now, obviously, this summer is going to be an extremely busy A couple months in the world of professional wrestling, we have SummerSlam coming up, we have All In from AEW, but I also have a big announcement that later this month, right here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, none other than the Street Profits, Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins, both two for one, will be joining us for an exclusive interview. You are not going to want to miss that. It will be coming out near the end of the month, but I do have the ability to tease it already, so make sure you are subscribing if this is your first time listening And if you've been listening for a while, then just hold your horses. That interview will be coming soon. All right. With all of that, Chris, let me welcome you to the show. And since we usually give an overview about SmackDown and Raw before we actually get into the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the last word, look, maybe it's just me, okay? But I had this nagging thought Friday night. If I owned a wrestling company and my company was doing a show live from Madison Square Garden, I am not beginning the program by letting the live crowd sit for six minutes watching videos before they get the first entrance of the night. I'm hitting them with pyro right off the jump, getting them hyped. I found the opening of SmackDown to be so odd for that reason. Again, they're in Madison Square Garden. And I thought the show, despite it having massive moments that we're probably going to praise later in this program, I thought the show was booked strangely as well, including the fact there was no LA night on the broadcast and we did not get LA Knight on our TV this week. I get it, okay? There were a lot of notable items on the show, including the equivalent of what I would call four bloodline segments and two edge segments, at least in terms of time on TV. But it's like in Billy Madison where he says, you get out there and you find the effing dog. Well, guess what? You get out there and you find a way to get LA Knight on the show. How do you not capitalize on one of the hottest acts from Money in the Bank in front of one of your best television audiences of the entire year in front of one of your best TV audiences of the entire year? Now, I did not dislike SmackDown on Friday. It was better than it has been the last few weeks. But for those reasons and a few more, dude, I found myself pretty disappointed by it.
1: So like, look, it was a unusually booked smackdown that went heavy on bloodline back like pandemic era yes bloodline where it took up half the show um but the ratings for smackdown were massive absolutely the ratings for the bloodline the trial the trial of the tribal chief was massive and ultimately that's all that matters if you're wwe so like I'm going to open by saying what they did clearly worked. And from a business perspective and what they want to do, without a doubt, Tripp says the book, he made a decision that clearly worked. The only thing I will say is that uh, of all the things that weren't on the show or should have been on the show, the only one I really thought should have been is what you said, LA Knight, who shows up. I don't remember if it was pre-show or post-show, but he interrupts. Pre-show dark uh, match. Um, yeah, he, he, he interrupts uh, Top Dollar and all them and does his moves, does his catchphrases, and he's out. That that clip, which was not on TV, got more than a million views on YouTube. A million for a segment that was not even on TV. That never happens. Now, the Bloodline stuff did more than two million. It was huge. But that alone... like. C- clear number two, most biggest thing going on on SmackDown right now is LA Knight. And look, if 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 the idea is like LA Knight's going to get into Austin Theory and do a US title feud, and we wanted to do Seamus Austin Theory first, get that out of the way, and then we'll bring LA Knight back. Fine, we'll see.
0: Do a stare down remember, at Guerrilla Position. Af- Force Theory to walk yeah. past LA Knight backstage. Do something where he's on the show is what I'm saying.
1: This this comes after. Several weeks where L.A. doesn't even talk on SmackDown, he does his most notable stuff on Raw sometimes, leading into Money in the Bank, has that big, you know, mm-hmm. he was clearly the favorite of Money in the Bank. To not acknowledge him on TV at all was massive, a massive problem. And I know we said after Money in the Bank, he's not being buried. They clearly,
0: oh, clearly appreciate
1: him. So yeah. I just thought I just thought that was a huge missed opportunity and the numbers that did on social media. Just that basic, literally it's just interruption, beat a guy up, do your catch races and leave that peak attitude era segment. You could have easily could have cut something on this show to fill in those three minutes that it took to do that. So SmackDown, huge ratings, very successful show. I just couldn't believe they didn't do LA night at MS Madison Square Garden after they didn't do LA night at WrestleMania. It's like, man, like these are opportunities here in big spots Give this guy some moments here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was okay with him not being on WrestleMania. I I, do, I did think that he should have been, but it, it made sense given, hey, it's, it's wrapping up the year, and he wasn't a huge featured part of WWE that year, even though he was starting to get over. But now, coming out of Money in the Bank, where he was the number one or number two most cheered person on the entire show, you get the guy on TV. You figure it out. You... Cancel the AJ Styles carrying cross match. You have you do a backstage attack, the match gets delayed to next week, and you do an LA Knight segment. You have Austin Theory walking mm-hmm. through gorilla position and LA Knight standing there giving him the evil eye. I'm, you know, saying, hey, I'm coming after that title, or something you know, something like that. You figure out a way, like I said, you get out there and you find the effing dog. You get him on TV. That that's as simple as that. And and again, it would be one thing, Chris, if like the bloodline segment, and we're gonna talk about it in a moment. If it ran long, which I believe it didn't just run long, but it ran extremely long, in my opinion. Um, if he had to cut a segment, and it was a really quick 90-second backstage segment, you're like, we can't do it. We have to cut it. It wasn't planned for the show. They did the dark match ahead of time, or the dark match segment, because they knew he wasn't going to be on the show. To me, that's a failure.
1: Right, right. It, it He is, it's wild to say, but he is like the number two, probably number two, sometimes number one thing, I am most looking forward to when SmackDown comes on the air now. Like literally on Friday, I was like, oh man, LA Knight's had a big couple of weeks. I can't wait to see what he's going to do on SmackDown tonight. Like literally I felt that on Friday. And then to not get him was extremely disappointing. And I think a lot of people
0: are. Yeah. And then Raw on Monday briefly, it just didn't hit for me the way the last three weeks have delivered. Now there is something that happens where if I'm really busy doing work or something happens that kind of takes my mind away from, being able to let it relax and fully enjoy wrestling. And this is for every company, WWE, AEW, anything. Sometimes I perceive a show to be less enjoyable than it perhaps otherwise would have been if I'm in the right mental state. And that did happen last night. Obviously, Northwestern coach uh, Pat Fitzgerald got fired and you and I were both extremely busy because of that. I was particularly busy. Um, But the show didn't hit for me the way it did the last three weeks, the way I felt those delivered. The Buffalo crowd, it was hot to start. Then it kind of completely died as the show went on. For the women's segments, they treated them like absolute shit. Maybe Becky Lynch and Zoe Stark got a decent reaction, but the later ones didn't. And Raw as a whole, for me, felt like a total filler episode without any real significant build for any of the presumed SummerSlam matches, with the exception of maybe Ricochet and Logan Paul, which is in the lower portion of the card. And given how much I've loved Raw the last few weeks, I've been praising it as easily the best wrestling show of the week for the last few weeks. I thought this one was a bit of a downer. Did you perceive it the same way or did you find it more entertaining than I did?
1: I, look, I was in the same boat where I was working at the same time Raw was going on and kind of had to go back and watch some stuff. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, I thought nothing of much consequence is happening, but this is a fun episode.
0: It was fun.
1: And I agree with that. And, and the crowd, especially early on, was going wild for some stuff like, ms versus uh you know the 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 ms match the notice qualification match was getting huge pops and it goes back to what we talked about last week which was like everybody's over right now not everybody but like so many people are over right now that the show starts crowds going crazy you know and just like people were into it it was a fun start to the show and by the end i was like you know what that kind of felt like an attitude era raw sometimes where maybe nothing actually happened but everybody just had a good time, and that was the vibe I got from Monday. Whether or not it was a great show, I don't know, but it was a it fun show, and that came through the screen.
0: All right. Fair enough, folks. We have three segments for you today. As always, the main event where we discuss the biggest topic of the week, the good, the bad, and the ugly, where we break down everything else with those respective grades, and the last word where Chris and I inject some opinions on the way out of the program. Let's kick things off here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, as we always do by sliding into the main event. This is the main event! And this week, we would be remiss, Chris, if we did not center the main event segment around Tribal Court, the trial of the Tribal Chief. So the Usos opened SmackDown with the crowd chanting their intro. That was really cool to hear. Paul Heyman with Solo Sokoa interrupted. The Usos told him to shut up, with Heyman saying only one man tells him to shut up or when to stop talking. Uh, Referring, of course, to Roman Reigns. Instead, Sokoa grabbed the mic and threw it out of the ring to a solo chant from the MSG crowd. Then Roman entered wearing his beads with WWE going to commercial after 12 minutes with nothing at all to that point having happened on the show. Also, there was nothing special to the setup. There was no table or anything in the ring like we had for the last tribal court. Just everyone kind of standing around. I found that entirely odd. They promoted this all week and it looked and felt like it was just another confrontation segment, particularly when juxtaposed with the Sami Zayn trial, where they went much, much deeper with the actual trial concept. And that's on top of the frustration that I had of watching nothing happen in the show's opening segment. Again, it was 12 minutes, and I understand the purpose of it. We're going to talk about that later. But am I wrong that like the first segment of the show was just a bunch of Nothing.
1: Look, none of this was a trial, if we're being honest.
0: <laughs> I, but I'm I saying know, I'm saying like, the first twelve minutes it, was worthless, though. Straight up worthless. It, it was,
1: but I, I did write though that the uh, the real ones shirt from the Usos was a nice shirt. And the solo solo shirt shirt's sick. That just says solo. That's a badass shirt. Yeah. That is a great shirt. One of these days on this podcast. We're gonna talk about wrestling shirts. Someone suggested for last word down the road, please. Mm-hmm. Like I have a lot of thoughts on it. Great shirts, but yeah, it was a it was a little weird start of just kind of standing there for a good like ten to fifteen seconds of silence before Roman comes out. It was it was a weird start.
0: Yeah, it was again. They started the show with a video package and no pyro for MSG. Then the Usos came out after like six minutes, and then they do a long extended segment where nothing happened. And you go to commercial, you're waiting for Roman Reigns. So that kind of set the stage for me to like not be in love with what I was going to get, even though they obviously changed my tune pretty quick. So fans chanted, you got pinned with Reigns admitting it, but saying he's still the tribal chief, not the Usos. He said he only gets to call tribal court, not them, and they don't have the authority to do so. Jay Uso said they won't be manipulated. And then he aired an exhibit of Roman verbally abusing all of them and physically abusing all of them except for Solo. Fans chanted, "Quote, you fucked up." So Fox muted the broadcast. Then Reigns answered, "No, I didn't," which was obviously funny. They responded, "Yes, you did." Which, I mean, talk about call and response from the crowd—that's fantastic. Roman said the video is who he was forced to become to lead them. Fox then muted for bullshit, and we missed some of Roman gaslighting that he put himself in tough positions for them and their families, and he was angry that they only showed the bad moments and not the good moments. Reigns said he doesn't want or need money or power anymore. He's done with the entire thing. Then Roman started crying. He removed the beads. He put them around Jay's neck. Then he dropped the Undisputed Championship on the canvas and first got on one knee and then both knees in front of Jay while fully now crying even more. Jay put his arm around Roman's neck only to eat a low blow. Solo gave Jimmy about 15 good seconds of attacking Roman after that before then stopping him and staring at the beads on the canvas. Then he caught Jimmy with the Samoan spike, picked up the beads, stared at them in his hand as Roman kind of stood up and confronted him. Maybe it was like 30 seconds or more. Fans chanted, put it on. Jay and Jimmy then both attacked them, but got stopped. Then Solo dangled Jay from the ropes outside while Roman berated him, grabbed his title, bashed Jimmy in the head with it repeatedly, and drove steps into him twice. Jay freed himself and beat Roman only to eat Samoan spike. Jay got thrown over the announce table and buried in desk chairs as Solo climbed the barricade and hit the splash on Jimmy through the table, the same move he was unable to accomplish at Money in the Bank, unable to execute, I should say. Reigns then grabbed the beads and the title while standing on the wreckage as the segment ended after 29 minutes, including one commercial. Jimmy got carted off with Jay following and the LWO also showing concern as he was getting loaded into the ambulance. I should note real quick before I continue. I saw people saying this segment was 40 minutes. It was not. The show by the time this ended was at 8:35. So the entire thing was 35 minutes. The first 6 minutes was a video package. This segment was 29 minutes. So we don't need to exaggerate the time like other people did to show well, you that to show you that it was still long. And Chris, that I mean, is uh, that's yeah, my overall that's, take here.
1: That's pick, it's picking nits. I mean, the video package largely counted toward that. <laughs>
0: I'm just but fine. Then it's 35. It's still not 40 is my point. People were saying it's a 40 minute segment. It just wasn't in reality. It wasn't. It was 29 minutes of in-ring stuff. And if you want to say 35 to start the show, that's fine too. But Chris, that's my overall take. Yeah. This was way too fucking long. Like I get it. Okay. They wanted to do this huge extended segment to deliver drama and explore the family dynamics. But so much of it was repetitive with overly long pauses and an extremely drawn out period outside the ring where Reigns was just like lumbering around, kind of wasting time. I would bet good money that this didn't just go over its allotted time. It went over it by a significant amount, like maybe as much as 10 minutes. The crowd was on fire through the low blow and some of the attacks in the ring and probably solo picking up the beads. But once it dragged, they got quieter in the end In some ways, I have to say, this did not live up to the trial of Sami Zayn, which unlike this was actually a trial. And the entire 12-minute opening before commercial, again, it was completely unnecessary. Now, they were doing this because they wanted to extend the rating across the entire first half hour of the show, and that worked. They got a 0.94 for the quarter hour with 3 million viewers in that segment. Those are truly insane numbers. I have no idea the last time a show of SmackDown did those numbers, maybe the inaugural episode, maybe the one with the NFL lead-in on Christmas in 2020, but that's ridiculous for wrestling in 2023. My biggest issue though, is they kind of previously showed us what a tribal court looks like and could be And that was such an intriguing concept in my mind that when they failed to deliver it, I kept waiting for like, okay, what else? Like when when Roman came out and he's like, hey, you guys don't have the authority to call a tribal court. I thought like on the Titan Tron, we were about to get Rikishi or Afa and Sika saying we called it. And like it was going to be this epic Mm -hmm. type of segment. Now, look, if I get away from the court aspect, okay, the middle portion was absolutely freaking hot. Reigns acting, his ability to cry on cue was top-notch. The storytelling they accomplished was on point. Reigns suckered Jay in one last time with the crowd reacting to all of the big moments, the removing of the beads, the kneeling, the crying, the low blow. Solo both delaying saving Roman, thinking he probably deserved some of the fight that Jimmy was taking to him, and then Solo delaying giving him the beads. They were on the edge of their seat for everything Roman did, but Reigns was also the only one who said anything. It was kind of like a monologue segment the Usos barely spoke. There could have been a Sammy element. There could have been the other family. There could have been a mention that perhaps the elders called tribal court, like I just said, something to have it live up to the promotion. Now, it did a damn good job continuing the story with Jay taking the low blow and Jimmy getting hospitalized. That, of course, leaves Jay out there as the one who will fight Roman. But what this ideally should have done, in my opinion, is seen Jay verbally lay out a case against Reign's before airing the video. It said exhibit A. There was never an exhibit B or C. It was just one exhibit. And I would have liked to have seen him sta- you know, show some balls by stand up to him verbally, not just physically, maybe cutting off his bullshit spewing before literally getting hit in the balls. If it sounds like I disliked the segment, I did not. It was really freaking good. The crux of it though, is that the middle was outstanding but the first 12 minutes could have been eliminated and the last six took twice as long as they needed to. I do find that in some ways, Chris, it paled in comparison to some of those epic bloodline segments that we've gotten over the last year, including over the last few months. That's disappointing because it could have been a truly memorable one if it was just built a little bit differently. And if you want to speak about talking too long, I just spoke way too much. So Chris, what are your thoughts? (laughs)
1: I was going to say that I was going to say, speaking of taking up 35 minutes. Yeah, (laughs) I realized it halfway through.
0: I did. Yeah. So
1: again, preface this by saying that it did massive ratings. Therefore, it was a success because that is what you're trying to do. Cannot deny that. My personal thought on it was similar to yours in that it wasn't that memorable especially in the context of so many all time memorable moments. This story has had first off, it wasn't a trial. It had no format. That was just kind of confusing, as I said. But when Roman goes down to his knees and, and, and does this thing, you know what that reminded me of? 300. Have you seen that movie?
0: I have seen it. I have seen it once and I saw it probably the year it came out and I have not seen it since. So I don't even recollect
1: toward toward the it. end of the movie when the Spartans are, are basically surrounded because someone betrayed them and they're going to surrender. Leonidas goes down to the emperor guy and he goes down onto his knees and kneels to the guy, which is what the guy wanted. But as he does, he, it's a trick and a guy comes out from behind and throws a spear at the emperor and hits him in the face. And that's what I thought it, it, it was. He kneeled, but it was like a fake kneel to try to get him to a low blow.
0: Right. It was obvious he what he was doing do that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: They, they tried to give us the imagery of putting the, putting the necklace on jay so we have that kind of stuff but like he couldn't just low blowed him whenever And and what's something that's been interesting about all these bloodline segments since they started to break up is that like it's not a blood feud in the sense that they have to beat each other up every time they see each other their family, they right. can get in a big fight. And then the next week they're in the ring, just talking it out again. Like, I actually really like that subtlety. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Yeah. Someone can interrupt somebody. We come in and talk and we're not just fighting right away. Like we're talking it out. I, I really like that just in general, but. Not none of this hit for me all that much and more than anything else. I think ultimately what what you wanted out of this segment was the image of Jay as the chief with the stuff on you got that mm-hmm. but the beatdown to me was very very much of a letdown i needed a much bigger beatdown than that if this is supposed to be the big destruction of the usos and jay and stuff i need blood i need some some real yeah. tie somebody up do some stuff we, all we got was like pro wrestling stuff somebody goes through a table somebody gets hit with stairs it did not stand out at all and i'm very surprised they didn't get more intense with that for what this moment was
0: supposed to Think be. about, not to interrupt so, you, but think about like yeah. the Hell in a Cell beatdown, right? Where Jay is watching his yeah. brother and, and there's the emotion and it's almost impossible to replicate that in front of a crowd because it was the silence that played such a huge mm-hmm. role in that being successful. But here they basically tried to replicate it by catching Jay up in the ropes and Jimmy's getting his ass beat outside. But this goes to what I was just saying. Reigns was just like lumbering around. He would walk away and like think to himself. And then he'd grab the steel steps. And then he'd hit uh, Jimmy. And then Jimmy would take 45 seconds to stand up again. And then Reigns would hit him again. It was just like, get it over. Like put this guy through the table. Throw his ass into the barricade. Drop the stairs on his head. 45 seconds. The guy's dead. Move on. Like Again, if you take it, Chris, if you distilled it down. and, And look. WWE extended it long on purpose for ratings and it worked and it was successful Mm -hmm. period. Okay. That's all that really needs to be said. But in terms of us looking at it from a critical standpoint, in terms of the content that we received, it would have been, in my opinion, much better received if you cut out the first 12 minutes and you trimmed the last six to three. All of a sudden, you take a 29-minute segment. I'm trying to do math live here. And that gets you down to about 15, 16, 17 minutes. And I think if we got a much tighter package like that with a much more intense brawl and beatdown, then we're singing a totally different story. We're still praising it, but we're saying, holy shit, this was memorable. Because it wasn't just the outside beatdown that took a while. Everything that happened in the ring after the low blow took a while. The delay with the beads with him in uh, solo, uh, Jimmy attacking, uh, Solo not immediately stopping him, although that was a storyline point. Uh, Then the Usos attacking after the fact. It just was like everything that happened felt like it was lumbering and taking longer than it needed to. And while I think that decreased the quality of the segment, it sure as shit increased the ratings for WWE.
1: Yeah, no, my biggest thing is I just would have wanted some more intensity. Like, like the whole point was to build to this vicious beatdown, And it just wasn't that vicious. And I I know you don't blade now and whatever, whether you use a, a a blood capsule or something like that, just I would have really liked some color because Roman hasn't really gotten to that level of evilness probably since the hell in the cell, you know, since mm-hmm. what since he made Jay quit because of what they were doing and, and the guillotine and stuff like that. So If we're trying to get Roman back there, um, I I don't think this got there.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And there's probably going to be people who say, you guys are crazy. This was an epic all-time segment. I saw people saying top five wrestling segments of all time. That's cool. If you loved it that much, more power to you. I think the middle was superb. But if you're looking at it in its entirety, in the first 35 minutes of SmackDown and the 29-minute segment itself, I just kind of felt it left a lot to be desired. I would have loved to have seen Jay in a prosecutorial role. I'm not saying as a prosecutor, but similar Mm. to what happened in that last trial, I would have loved to have seen Jay lay out a case against Roman. Here's what you did in terms of verbal abuse and mental abuse. Here's what you did physically abusing us. Hey, remember what you did to Jimmy at hell in a cell where you made me, you know, quit and, and submit to you. Um, you know, so on and so forth. I would have loved to have seen that laid out. I would have loved to have seen Reigns be speechless at some of it. And then that lead to him saying, hey, you know what? I don't need this anymore. Get on the knee, the whole, and you finish it the same way you did. But if you were gonna take that much time to do the segment, then I wanted to get more content out of it. I wanted more things to chew on. As a fan of this storyline, it felt like they were just, kind of just rushed. The trial aspect, again, it wasn't even a trial, but the the exhibit It was like, Oh, here's another promo package. If you just sat and watched a six minute promo package before the show began, now we're going to show you another one. And it was just like, I was like, all right, I've seen that already. You know, you guys kind of, you know, we know what's going on, but look again, record ratings, not record ratings, but highest ratings in an extremely long time. And maybe their thought was, Hey, if we're going to have that many people watching, then we need to kind of catch them up on this entire storyline because we want them to tune in next week. Otherwise, maybe this entire segment's out of context.
1: That's a really good point, because that's what the Sami Zayn trial did for people who had been out of wrestling for a bit and were starting to get back in. The trial of Sami Zayn was a great catch up on everything that had gone on since the summer. We talked about it at the time. It was a brilliant way to catch everybody up. Absolutely. And if that's what they wanted to do here, it would make total sense. Hey, Money of the Bank was big. Summer slam's coming up. People are going to start watching again. The ratings were up like this. Let's do this to catch people up again. Like I could totally see that being the, the plan again. I just don't think, like you said, they didn't execute it as well as they did the first time.
0: I'm thinking this segment, by the way, might be longer than what we actually saw on TV, which almost never happens. We try to always, you know, be much shorter, of course. So that's pretty funny. And there's more, by the way, that's only halfway through. So look, late in hour two of SmackDown, uh, we heard live during a match that Jay had returned to MSG. We then saw Reigns rubbing the beads in his locker room with Heyman informing him Jay was back. Roman said they could meet in the ring. He got solo ready, staring at the ramp as the Usos entrance music hit but Jay instead came through the crowd, leapt the barricade to take out Solo. Uh, He also threw him into the ring post. Jay grabbed a chair, jabbed Roman in the stomach twice. Solo stopped more shots, only to eat a super kick and 10 chair shots to the back. Roman left the title behind, so Jay grabbed it, took a mic and said, I'm the judge, jury and executioner. And then he decided the punishment for Reigns would be trial by combat, daring Reigns to accept his challenge. Now this, Chris was fire, okay? I get that they had to separate the two segments so they could do the Jimmy hospitalization aspect of the story, but it felt like they could have let the Usos out smart Reigns with Jimmy stopping the low blow before the main segment ended and then have it finish this way. The place would have been out of its mind if this happened all altogether at the open of the show. But even doing it this way, I would just have preferred the Reigns backstage segment saying he'll be in the ring to celebrate. And then you have Jay's return being a total surprise, not leaking it to us on commentary and not Heyman telling Reigns to expect him to come back. Then all of a sudden you get that Stone Cold Steve Austin pop where the music hits out of nowhere and you're like, holy shit, Jay's back, right? And you get that big, big, big moment. But the attack worked, the promo was delivered well. It got the job done to advance the story. Again, just by giving some notes, some critical notes here, I'm not saying I didn't like it, We've covered so many prior Bloodline segments where I break them down, and Chris, you break them down with your opinions, and we literally say some version at least of, here's why this was great, no notes. That was not the case Friday. I got notes, sorry. It just seemed like there were numerous ways all of this could have been executed a little bit better, including, again, saving more time on the show for other people, because this took up basically half of SmackDown.
1: I love this. I thought this was great. I, I, I was even fine with them saying, hey, Jay's coming back. Like, you know, the whole point of doing that is to keep people tuning in. Because, totally. Hey, we're going to yes. get another one of these. If you like that opening segment, and a lot of people did. Uh, hey, we're coming back with more. So that, that, that makes sense. And like when Stone Cold Steve Austin came back to save WWF when the during the invasion, you know, he's at the bar. Then you find out that he's coming back. He's backstage. He's making his way. He comes out huge pops so like that's. It's certainly a, a perfectly understandable way to do it, and I actually like the idea at the end where he says, "I'm saying trial by combat. I'm the judge. Oh, that jury, was great. Executioner. Yeah. That's a great line. That's the most trial that we got. Exactly. The trial itself wasn't. Gr- the trial itself wasn't great, but we got the clothes that you wanted. Right. And crowd was hot for it, and it all made sense. And I, I just I thought the end segment totally worked. So uh, no real complaints about it at all. I think it, it made sense. The plan and the whole thing, it just, it worked.
0: Even though it wouldn't fit in kayfabe, I would have popped. If you're going to tease him coming back, I would have popped for like GoPro video of Jay driving the ambulance. You know, like, like, you know, he goes there, he, he Jimmy's okay. He grabs someone's keys. He jumps in the ambulance and you see him driving down the road, like pissed off about the tribal chief muttering under his breath. Like something like that would have enhanced it for me even more. But yes, this segment to close knocked it out of the park. It was extremely, extremely well done as of now reigns. I don't believe is advertised for SmackDown this Friday in Raleigh. Maybe Chris, you can double check that for me, but I don't believe he is. And if that's the case, I don't necessarily love that the challenge may linger for two full weeks. Like the next SmackDown after this is the 21st from Orlando and Roman's surely going to be there because he lives in Pensacola. So I hope that at least next week is a big show otherwise, because I could definitely see it being a downer. If this storyline doesn't progress and Reigns is not there.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, Look, we have a lot of time between Money in the Bank and Summerslam, mm-hmm. and that's why we kind of got a filler episode of Raw, I think, which is fine. And as we said last week, most of the card is kind of already booked. It is, uh, or at least you can you, you can plan it already. So, um, yeah, I I am. If it does take two whole weeks to get a response, I'm su- I'll be surprised. I'm sure Paul Heyman will be there Friday, and maybe we drag this on in some sort of way. I'm I, I'm curious to see what they do on Friday and how they prolong this if uh, if Roman's not there.
0: For sure. Now, there was another major storyline that happened in WWE this week, and that, of course, was on Raw. It was the Judgment Day, and it ended up with involving Seth Rollins and the Tag Team Champions and all that. But when I was considering, hey, what is the main event of this show, and do we do a co-main event? One thing was massively notable. Obviously, the trial of the Tribal Chief, Tribal Court, of course. Whereas what happened on Raw... Just didn't seem to make the same impact. Therefore, it is a single main event this week, and we move to our second segment on today's show The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything, dude says. Same dude to give you ice, and you own some. Johnny. It's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. All right. So Finn Balor opened Raw saying his issues with Seth Rollins are unresolved due specifically to Damian Priest. Rhea Ripley and Dominic Mysterio entered without Priest as Ripley said they need to handle it privately as a group. Balor kept bitching. So Ripley put her hand on the mic and told him she promises they will all work it out backstage. So Balor dipped out and he had a scowl on his face. Ripley then reiterated that Judgment Day runs Raw before challenging any woman in the back and promising Dom would beat Rollins in a scheduled rematch on the show. Strangely. No women came out when she said that. Uh, Rollins did come out, though, with a plate of wings, since Raw was, of course, in Buffalo, saying fans were there to see Judgment Day implode. And tonight, he, not Mommy, would be the one whipping Dom's ass, which was a fantastic freaking line. Uh, Ripley later dressed down priest backstage. He said, Look, I already spoke with Balor and we discussed our beef, but I'm going to do it again just for you. Then she moderated an argument between them. Priest said he never intended to cost Balor at Money in the Bank and would never cash in the briefcase on him if he was champion, claiming it wasn't his fault what happened. Balor basically just got in his own head. Balor suggested, "Hey, let's clean the slate and let me get Rollins first. Then you can deal with whatever you want to deal with." Priest agreed, saying he knows Balor will become champion, but either way, it's covered. And he held up the briefcase. Balor looked curiously at that, wondering what he meant. By cover, does he mean that someone in Judgment Day will have the title, whether he wins it or not? You know, what exactly did he mean? Now, other than the early video recap package that kind of interrupted the flow of this entire thing, this was legitimately hot, and it was a really intriguing start to the show as well. As I always say, you'd think an interpersonal conflict like this could be worked out in the six days that they have between television shows, but in kayfabe, it was smart to see the issue resolved well, like 90% of the way we think, Because it was done the way real humans would resolve it, as opposed to some exaggerated bullshit where it lingers on for weeks. They said, hey, look, you perceived this this way. I didn't mean it that way. My bad if that was the case. And the other person said, you know what? You're right. Let's move on. Like, that's how relationships actually work. Ripley, by the way, was particularly great here, serving as like the de facto MC, directing the conversations. She has grown so much on the mic. This was definitely good.
1: Oh, this was spectacular stuff uh, from, from start to finish. It what, it was such a different type of start to Raw, and the crowd was so into it. Like, it was just like, here's all the things that you are booing and cheering right now. We're going to throw them all out right now. You want to boo Dom? Sure, you want to sing for Rollins? Uh, Dominic's going to try to talk over the boos and make mm-hmm. it louder. Like, it was just a frantic start to the show, and I thought that just really set the tone for it, and I like that they went back to it. Like, it wasn't like, hey, we we didn't have our discussion out there. We're gonna have it now. Mm -hmm. And like, it was a totally reasonable conversation between Finn and Damian Priest. Like, they legit just sounded like they were having a real conversation, which is very often doesn't happen in wrestling. And they were like, and Priest was like, we cool then? I'm like, yeah, all right, we're cool. Like, it was just I I thought it was really, really good stuff. And it just really highlights how much these four have grown together and how well they play off of each other, and why I am terrified that they are going to somewhat break them up with Finn going another direction potentially. These guys are as hot as they've ever been. They were all over this show. Like they have they have reached the point where they can carry an episode of Monday Night Raw. Which is basically what they did here. Yeah, multiple segments. Like this group is so good right now. I really don't want it to break up. And I just thought every every little piece of this worked. And like this is exactly what you wanted when you put these four together. They've elevated each other. Mm-hmm. They've got good chemistry. People are booing them like crazy. Like it's all working. It is really, really good
0: stuff. What was also impressive about it is all of these little segments happened in the first hour. They didn't really make us wait. Like we came back from commercial, I believe, and Ripley was already talking to Priest. Then like we had a, Mm -hmm. I think we had a tag team match after that. And then, or maybe it was between them. And then we come back from commercial again or we go backstage again and Priest and Balor are talking. So like all of it, she's like, hey, we're gonna talk about this. They did talk, she talked to Priest immediately. And then Balor and Priest talked, and by the end of hour one, it was resolved, and like now we're moving on to them working together for the rest of the show. So it was just so smart the way they did it that way, and they didn't like drag it out over two hours, and then eventually they made the match for hour three, which certainly has happened in the past. Now, there was more here. So Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn were cutting a promo backstage about being fighting champions when Ripley interrupted acting offended that they mentioned nearly every other team except judgment day. Ripley said any combination of them could win the titles and they want all the gold. She also said Dom was working on cardio in prison and he never gets tired. And that led Sammy to question, what did she mean by that? Obviously inferring that she was speaking sexually. He whispered that in Kevin's ear, he gave a funny face and nodded along. This was entertaining as usual. It just kind of feels like to me there's no direction for KO and Sammy. Like, I do know there were talks of a new team challenging them on Raw, and perhaps that was nixed and the dire- direction was changed. But KO and Sammy are way too over to be in this role that they're in right now, where they're just like stuck helping other baby faces. You know what I mean? Like, it was first, it was Cody they were helping, now it's Seth Rollins. And in between those things, they fought pretty deadly in the throwaway match. They really need to be involved in a storyline that is significant for the tag team titles. Let's not forget, just a couple months ago, these titles main-evented WrestleMania. Even more recently, they main-evented Night of Champions, didn't they, against Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa? So yep. these guys need to be in a significant program. I'm not saying they can't like take a step back every once in a while, but this is SummerSlam season. This was good, don't get me wrong, good backstage segment. I just want something more for KO and Sammy to chew on.
1: Definitely good. I mean, it's been basically three months of this since WrestleMania. I mean, I knew I know they threw the of Champions thing in there, but really like they've just been the cheerful baby face tag team champs. And not only that, again, they have both tag team belts, so therefore nothing is really happening uh, on another show when they don't show up. But I really I like the segment with Rhea. What, what, another thing about Judgment Day is that in this episode in particular, Rhea looked like the leader. That we always kind of wanted her to be of this group, um, which I thought was a, a, a cool. She she elevated herself on this episode through multiple things like that, and that backstage segment it was one of them. Yeah, Kay and Sammy need something to do. They need to not have both the belts. It's kind of been the same thing we've been saying for ever since Mania. They haven't really known what to do with them yet.
0: I am going to address Rhea Ripley a little bit later. Don't want to do it now just because there's more women's stuff to talk about. But we will get back to her, and that was a good point by you. Uh, so Seth Rollins had a scheduled uh, singles match with Dominic Mysterio non-title, a rematch from last week. And I will tell you, going into Raw, I kind of rolled my eyes at it. Now, I know it ended in a DQ, but I was like, man, a rematch on Raw directly after one week. That kind of smells, you know, but... Dom attacked Seth before the bell, leading him into the crowd where Balor and Priest attacked him from behind, with Priest really laying him out. KO and Sammy made the requisite save. I kind of spoiled that already. uh, As Rollins drilled Dom with a chair, and the crowd, of course, serenaded Seth. Now, this obviously became a six-man tag team match for the main event. Later backstage, Rollins was thrilled to have KO and Sammy's help. Owens went nuts, devising a plan to take them down fun, high energy segment with the baby faces obviously rallying together. So we got the six man Rollins, Owens, and Zanagan's judgment day. KO did a nice somersault sent on off the top rope outside. There was a spot where Priest uh, prevented himself from running into Balor, who was on the ring apron, but with his back turned facing the crowd. Then Balor turned around and Priest got run into him, but he still saved a fall after Rollins had a pedigree on Priest. Dom blind tagged for a frog splash after a sling blade. There were a couple of really Uncommon odd botches in this match by Balor, who was usually just perfect in the ring. Uh, Sammy eventually hit a blue thunderbomb on Balor. Owen stunned Dom, who sold it like absolute death. He's doing great with the selling. Balor ate an exploder from Sammy, but Ripley grabbed his leg, preventing Haluva kick. Then Priest hit South of Heaven on Zane, with Balor nailing coup de gras for the major heel victory in the main event. Now, Rollins was kind of a non factor in the finish, I assume, to protect him. And we got Balor and Priest hugging it out, celebrating after their win. It was a fun main event marred by some of that strangely inconsistent wrestling from Balor in the finishing area. The guy is so nails. It must've just been one of those nights or something, you know, but still the vast majority of this was good. As I said earlier, and as I will say more as the show continues, it just kind of was a filler main event on a filler episode of Raw, but it got all the big names featured. I mean, we saw this exact match a few weeks ago again, with Cody in the Seth spot. It was the exact same match otherwise. This makes me think that Judgment Day, Chris, are going to be the next team to challenge KO and Sammy. whether that's Priest and Dom or Balor and Priest. I've seen people kind of going back and forth saying Dom should challenge Seth for the title while Balor and Priest team up because of their storyline for the tag team titles. To me, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know why you would have rollins be willing to defend the title against dominic and why dominic would deserve a title match at SummerSlam. i think it's going to be um rollins against balor priest and dom challenging for the tag team titles dom taking the fall there but overall this was a really successful show storyline and the main event was great even if it wasn't maybe the most exciting storyline of all time you know
1: well say, uh, what's different about this than the one a few weeks ago with cody was that this this told a story throughout the episode of raw at the very beginning of raw, we've got judgment day, all a mess falling apart, can't get on the same page. And at the end, mm-hmm. they come together and win it when a tag team, match. right? Like, it wasn't just
0: a match a- to Ooh, have a match. That's a- Right
1: yeah they told the story throughout this episode about judgment day with ups and downs and this and that like i said judgment day carried this episode of raw and i loved it i was so glad that they got the win in this main event because i was terrified that they were going to take yet another loss just adding to the dysfunction and i mean honestly outside of Rhea, they don't get that many wins Mm -hmm. anyway and so I was thrilled with that result and the story that they told match was a little up and down, like you said, but um, if you're going to do a, you know, a six man main event that doesn't have any stakes, at least have a story behind it. And this absolutely did. I think this, like I said, yes, it was completely a filler episode of raw, but if you're going to tell me a story throughout the three hours, then like, I'll come along for that ride. And I thought they did a really good job.
0: That That storyline aspect made the show entertaining where otherwise you would have said, why do I care about this? Like, even though I like these people, why do I really care? The storyline made you actually care. And it gave reason for the heels getting that victory beyond the fact that it was just, hey, you know, let's give a heel a win. You know, sometimes it's random here. There was actually a purpose behind the entire thing. You're right. That's a really great point. Now, real quick, before we continue, I just want to say I was a little disappointed They didn't give us any storyline build for the entire Judgment Day faction being on NXT Tuesday night. Now we did get a couple like video promos, but unlike what they've done previously where I praise them for it, they didn't do anything like live on screen. Like it would have been cool if Judgment Day, if something as simple as like Judgment Day backstage is arguing or they're having one of their moments and Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams walk by and like laugh at them or point at them and they lunge after them or something like that. Just to kind of say, hey, by the way, these guys are going to be on that show as part of your main programming, not just the video packages promoting NXT on Tuesday. I just wanted a little bit more in that respect.
1: Commentary did say it multiple times. And when the show went off the air with Judgment Day lifting their arms and commentary basically like, man, what are they going to do on NXT mm-hmm. on Tuesday? I was like, oh, man, like I kind of want to watch NXT on Tuesday now because I'm, I'm feeling the Judgment Day right now. I want to see uh what what they're gonna do on Tuesday so you're right they could have promoted it better but that's another point that I hadn't thought of which is you tell the story you bring them back together they come out of the show on top and then you're like hey by the way tomorrow they're gonna be doing more on NXT like they're riding Judgment Day right Mm -hmm. now carried Raw gonna be on NXT and I think that's just a really smart move leaning into something that's really working
0: absolutely Uh, Cody Rhodes opened hour three with a massively botched amount of pyro on his entrance. Uh, Neither of his cues worked, and eventually his first pyro cue went off after he gave his second pyro cue. Very, very weird. Uh, That's a tisk tisk for WWE production there. Uh, He meandered on his promo before saying Brock Lesnar is not there to meet his address. Cody said everyone has a Brock Lesnar, aka an obstacle that they're forced to overcome in their lives. Rhodes challenged Lesnar for a rubber match at SummerSlam and repeated that Brock started this feud for no reason. Thank you! Cody then said his goal was to be next in line as the promo ended. He did not specify which title, of course, he wanted to be next in line for. I'm sure that was completely on purpose. So look, this was good as usual. But it was, for me, perhaps Cody's weakest and corniest promo, maybe topping both of those lists Out of all the promos he's cut since he returned to WWE, it just didn't hit for me because it sounded exactly like what it was in reality. Total filler with no progression during a week without Lesnar. Now that said, I did not say thank you for no reason because that one line about, hey, by the way, Brock, like you still haven't told me why this shit started in the first place. Calling back to that after... All of us, you know, who are critical, of course, of WWE, and, and this is our job to to praise and criticize and, and so on. You know, we talked about this for weeks. We had eventually gotten over it because the feud got hot, and we said, hey, yeah, you know what? It was maybe it was just Vince McMahon kind of throwing it out there, or maybe they had a plan to give a reason, but they didn't. There were a couple reasons that were like sprinkled in like, oh, Co- you know, Brock was angry that Cody main evented WrestleMania instead of him when that's usually his spot but they never actually said this is the reason. So for Cody to bring it back unnecessarily that popped me, but I do believe the rest of this, it was kind of weak and corny and definitely not his best stuff. As far as I was concerned.
1: No, he had to, he had to reach to put this together, but I, I, I appreciated the theme, the idea like, Hey, everybody's got shit going on. You're, you lost your job. Your boss sucks. Something's going wrong in your life. We've all got a Brock Lesnar. We got to overcome things that just happened to us. And we got to overcome. I, I, I liked, I thought he did a good job of pulling something out of that idea. Um, it was, you know, very formulaic be promo, but credit for pulling something out there. I, I give it a light good. Cause it, it certainly wasn't bad. Oh no, it was good. But, um, yeah. I, I, I think he, I think he did everything he could with that. And so that was fine.
0: You know what it felt like? It felt like when you were in like middle school and you got called to assembly and they had one of those random like rock climbers come in. He's like, I I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and, you know, I never thought I could do it. And don't let bullies be your Mount Kilimanjaro. Overcome them. Like that's what it felt Mm -hmm. like. It felt like it was a motivational speech given to middle schoolers. That's really the best way that I can describe the entire thing. That was like what I thought of when I was listening to it. Again, Cody on the mic, he's freaking nails. I mean, you're talking about 10 out of 10 promos, nine out of 10 promos the vast majority of the time. Eh, This was like a five. You know, it just didn't hit for me the way that most of them do. Maybe a six extra credit for the line about Brock's reasoning. Anyway, let's keep going here. Uh, The Grayson Waller effect uh, happened on SmackDown with Edge as the guest. This opened hour two of the show. Waller cut off Edge's opening promo asking, what's your big announcement? Edge said, I don't have a big announcement but you can celebrate my 25th anniversary in WWE if you want. So he said he came back for the fans and then reminisced about SummerSlam 98. Waller said the actual announcement was that Edge is retiring. Edge said Waller is getting featured, so it's clear someone likes him, but not only is he not retiring, he's wrestling. Friday night at Madison Square Garden against him. You want to talk about strapping a damn rocket to someone? That is belief in a guy to do this. An Edge match on TV, against you as your first match on SmackDown. I'm not saying it's the John Cena, Kurt Angle, ruthless aggression segment, but man, that's strapping a rocket. Uh, The segment was good, not great. It got the job done with Edge getting a big pop and plenty of heat falling onto Waller's shoulders before they had the match. First off,
1: go back and look at Grayson Waller's pants in the segment at the beginning. They are just ridiculous it's like two-toned blue and ripped it was just it was wild i had to write it on <laughs> second of all i said this on the money in the bank instant analysis that grayson waller is so much better in a normal promo setting than he is doing the grayson waller effect I agree. show i agree like i get the idea but like we just saw this guy go toe-to-toe with john cena don't sit him down and put up palm trees and do all this stuff. Just have him face to face with edge. It makes him look bigger, like a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. When you do that, as opposed to them coming to his set, like he's a little kid or something like that. So I just I get why they bring it back. And honestly, of all the Grayson Waller effects effects they've done on the main, main roster, this one probably made the most sense. Definitely was the most effective. Definitely because because it was about him and not about something. Some other feud he's not involved in, but like we we know how much talent this guy has. I, I've said it since the first time I saw him in NXT. WWE knows because mm-hmm. of like you just said, they just gave him an edge match at Madison Square Garden. I just think I just I just don't think the Grayson Waller effect is really helping him at this point. We we saw what he can do. So let's let's just let's lean into Grayson Waller more than the show itself.
0: I think it's a good point. I mean they're trying to do this like, you know millennial podcast, I guess not even millennial, right? I don't even know what this generation is called now? Gen Z, whatever. Uh, this like podcast type of setup. They did it in NXT. Yeah. It, it was somewhat successful, but on the main roster, you're right. It just doesn't really hit the same way and getting him in the ring with a mic just to talk shit and like walk around the ring. It is so much better than pigeonholing him into the Grayson Waller effect and forcing there to be a guest every week and doing it pretty much every week. If you want to do it once a month and there's a reason for it, okay. But you're right, Waller walking out, taking his entrance, getting the mic, talking shit, it's going to come across way better than doing this segment every single week. It's repetitive and it's not really hitting the way it should. So even though like Miz yeah. TV is great and I know they're trying to do a equivalent Miz TV with him, it's just not doing the same um, positively for him like it does for the Miz.
1: He's really good at interacting with the crowd, and we we saw that in London. Like it, 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 just walking around, looking around, reacting to what they're saying. When he's kind of boxed into that set, looking at the hard cam, it's tougher. I just I don't think it just I just don't think it takes advantage of his best skills. Agreed. I think it holds him back. Actually.
0: Yeah. No, you're right. So Edge fought Waller. Uh, this was Waller's first main roster match. Edge grabbed him off the apron for a powerbomb and hit a flying crossbody. Waller came back with his flip over Prettier and eventually got a Grayson sucks chant after talking trash. He ate execution but dodged a spear only for Edge to counter a rolling stunner in midair with the spear to get the win in 14 minutes. After the match, Edge grabbed the mic and referred to his sink or swim comments earlier saying Grayson swam, basically giving him a nod and the rub. Edge was kind of blowed up here, which makes sense because he was off for so long. The problem was it muted a lot of Waller's offense, which made the wrestling less impressive than it should have been. But it was a successful debut for him, no doubt. And getting that kind of rub from Edge is obviously incredibly meaningful. So it was a definite good. I saw people out there, Chris, saying, oh, tip, they rolled their eyes. Typical WWE. Uh, they have a new guy and they don't put him over the legend. The, you know, The legend wins. Of course, the legend wins. It's Edge. This wasn't Grace and Waller, you know, getting beaten by the Miz and Miz is a legend too, don't get me wrong, he's a Hall of Famer, but this is freaking Edge. There is no issue with Waller losing a match to Edge, just like there was no issue with Cena losing a match to Kurt Angle or you know any other, you know, examples of this in history. If Waller was fighting a mid Carter and he lost, I would have said, yeah, that's really stupid. He probably should have won. But if you're putting him up up against like Edge or Bobby Lashley, or AJ Styles. Those people can all win. It's totally fine. He got the rub after the match. And like I said, I'll repeat myself. This was good.
1: My takeaway from this whole thing was that this was all a Grayson Waller story than it was an Edge
0: story. Absolutely.
1: Because at the end of the match, you've got Edge saying you swam. You've got commentary going out of their way to say, man, Grayson Waller really impressed us, didn't he? Like They really, really pushed him. Yeah, he lost. But the entire point was to show how good he is. Mm -hmm. He went toe to toe with freaking edge in his first main roster match. It did feel more like the John Cena thing. Like you said, when he goes backstage and shakes the Undertaker's hand. Hey, good job, man. Like, that's totally what this was. So, like, if you like Grayson Waller and you think he's got a bright future like I do, you come out of what happened on SmackDown thinking, oh, they love this dude and and they're they're making moves with him. That was the point of that. And I think they completely accomplished that. Uh, this was definitely a good.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are Also
1: uh also real quick, the one thing about Grayson Waller's whole thing, the basketball shorts is such a bad look dude man. okay he's been wrestling in like this forever have and you I, it still doesn't work it does just put on pants man i just i don't like it
0: have you heard me talk about him ever on the nxt show because i've talked about this for years now yeah okay yeah. so he not only had the basketball shorts or, or not the basketball shorts the boxing shorts aren't they or are they yeah, basketball yeah shorts i
1: guess now? they're more like boxing yeah the, the well, bo- i guess they're more like bad they were more like basketball shorts and this but they I know they were boxing shorts back in So NXT.
0: back in NXT yeah I think you're right about that. So back in NXT he had the boxing shorts with the big waistband. Then he wore football gloves like he was a wide receiver. And he did so he did the, the he had the boxing look, the football gloves on his hand. And then he does the between the legs like elbow drop off the ropes, which is a basketball mm-hmm. type of thing. And I'm like what are they doing with this guy? Like like none of this ma- the guys from Australia. If it would be one thing if he was like if <laughs> it would be, be one thing if he was Like an American who had played all those sports and his gimmick was he's the total athlete. So he's like melding all of it together. He's not any of those things. Like he wasn't a boxer. I don't think he played basketball, although basketball is very popular in Australia. And he certainly didn't play American football. So I'm like, what are you doing? And even now with the way he looks, it's less of an issue now. And I didn't notice the shorts in particular on this this night, but he does the basketball move. And it's like, you already have Carmelo Hayes who incorporates basketball stuff into his move set, nothing but net and both names and and looks and the whole thing. Why are you having Grayson Waller do it? Let him do other things. He has his rolling moves. He has all these other things that he does. It has annoyed me for so freaking long. It really has. Um, One other thing before we quickly move on, you know, if you, it's really tired, the criticism that I mentioned that people give of, oh, Ed should have put Waller over and, and WWE did Waller a disservice because he didn't beat Edge. Again, ridiculous. There are arguments that Edge has not done a good job and WWE has not done a good job booking him, putting other people over. The greatest example, obviously, Finn Balor and Hell in a Cell. Balor should have won that match. And there's mm-hmm. other yep. situations since Edge has returned where you said, hey man, he's kind of just fighting other legends and older people like Randy Orton and AJ Styles and it's just like, you know, and, and Seth Rollins. And it's just like, He really should be working with younger talent and occasionally losing Waller, a brand new guy out of NXT. Not an example of that as far as I'm concerned, but Balor, yes, even though he's like nearing 40 or whatever the case, he was someone who they were trying to elevate back into the main event. He would have benefited from beating Edge here. Waller didn't need to. So I just kind of wanted to reiterate that. All right.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think Ed, I, I, it's nice seeing Edge back, and I've enjoyed having him back. But in terms of what you want to accomplish with him being back, since he came back, shoot, pre-pandemic, I just I don't think it's I don't think it's at all accomplished what you would like. Right. Um, As- outside of it's cool that Edge is back,
0: right? especially with his career seemingly winding down. This may be the last year he's a full time professional wrestler. So you know it's interesting. Uh, so Asuka hit the ring on SmackDown, saying her one line before Bianca Belair and Charlotte Flair each attacked. Immediately, one after another, EO Sky ran through the crowd with her Money in the Bank briefcase and attacked Asuka with Bailey actually helping her. EO hit over the moonsault and Bailey was about to help cash in the briefcase when Belair pulled her out of the ring. Flair then booted Sky as Asuka escaped with the title. Now this entire segment lasted 90 seconds. The crowd was up for it. And the only reason I'm going good instead of bad was the cash in attempt. That offered like an allowance for this entire thing being short because it really upped the chaos factor. And it wasn't cashed in. So EO will have at least one more week with the briefcase, thank the Lord. This did nothing to make me care any more about the triple threat match. And that really should have been the purpose of it. But they have another month to try and do something interesting there. But also, Chris, this was one of two segments on SmackDown that was clearly cut slash trimmed for time because of the bloodline opener. So I'm not gonna be overly critical given the fact that there was an extenuating circumstance.
1: Yeah, it it was fun franticness, though. Like, I enjoyed, oh, Triple Threat. Oh, Money in the Bank cash-in as well. Like, it felt like a lot was going on and a lot of different ideas and stories were interacting. So I I liked it. It wasn't much, but I thought it was good.
0: A bigger issue for me, honestly, is that I just don't care about this. And what they're doing next week, Asuka, Belair, one-on-one in a title match, it's like an eye roll. It's going to be exactly like Asuka and Flair. Not... I'm not going to be angry about it before it happens, but dude, it sure as hell seems like they're sticking with the triple threat storytelling that we've seen a million times in WWE and professional wrestling. One person wants a title match. They get it. The other, the third party interferes. That person gets a title match. The other third party interferes and it becomes a triple threat. It's like, how many times do we have to do the exact same thing? And by the way, it didn't even start hot. So it's just like, I just don't care. I, I, I really like Asuka. I really like Bianca Belair, and I just don't give a shit about this storyline.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll see. They've got time, but you're right. I'm not expecting a, I'm 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 expecting a Schmazz finish with Bianca Asuka for sure.
0: Yeah. So Drew McIntyre and Matt Riddle fought Imperium on Raw. Giovanni Vinci got Riddle with the catch brain buster. Riddle escaped Imperial bomb for a McIntyre hot tag. He stared down Gunther while powerbombing Vinci. Gunther tried to interfere, but he ate a knee from Riddle off the seal steps before McIntyre hit Claymore on Vinci as Riddle put Ludwig Kaiser in the ankle lock submission simultaneously with Drew getting the pinfall victory. Gunther yelled at Vinci in Austrian after the bell and Kaiser shook his head in disappointment also. Later backstage, McIntyre revealed they were focused on taking down Imperium together, but he wouldn't be on Raw next week because he had something already planned. Riddle said he was going to go eliminate Gunther and he got Adam Pearce to bar Imperium from ringside so they could have a true one-on-one match. Now, I don't have any interest in McIntyre and Riddle as a team, but to be fair, they were a top-notch pairing in the ring. This was a perfect opening match for Raw with Drew getting the necessary clean victory. I do wish, though, he got to cut a promo in the ring. It's been now two weeks since he's been back, and he hasn't really spoken like to the crowd. It also feels like they're missing a third guy. If you're going up against Imperium, a three-person group, you should have a third on your side. It could be Akira Tozawa, for all I care. They should have a third person. Now, the tease of problems with Imperium, Chris, it just felt repetitive given the old Gunther Kaiser angle and what we're seeing already with both the bloodline and Judgment Day. I don't need a third group to possibly break up or change members, right? I presume it's going to be Vinci saving Gunther from losing the title or something at the end of it. At least that's what I hope. I really hope they don't break up. Either way, though, this was good.
1: Yeah, it was good. Match was fun. Match was hot. Drew and Riddle really worked together. Um, I kind of don't want to add a third person and then just run it back again, but we got a lot of time till SummerSlam, and this is the time of year when we start to mix and match different things. I, You're right. I am mostly surprised we haven't gotten a big Drew promo. Mm-hmm. Maybe that comes this week with uh, something happens. Two weeks. Or I want it would know, have to be in your, two weeks because he's not, not going to be
0: on Raw Monday, so it would have to be two weeks from now.
1: Yeah, so I I am surprised that they kind of didn't take that uh, opportunity. So, uh,
0: yeah, we'll see. All right, uh, United States Championship was on the line, Austin Theory defending against Sheamus on SmackDown. Now, this followed the Bloodline segment, and it went to commercial after one minute. We didn't even get Sheamus's entrance. Then we got a couple more minutes of action before a second commercial. So I think it was like three minutes of wrestling and two commercials between it. Sheamus was soaked in sweat, but we basically didn't know why when they came back. Pretty Deadly ran down as Sheamus was submitting Theory, so he did 10 beats on Elton Prince and ate a rolling dropkick. Sheamus countered A-Town down with a knee as the Brawling Brutes eliminated Deadly outside. At least we thought that is what happened. Instead, Wilson wound up on the apron with Sheamus hitting him with bro kick before Theory caught him blind in a roll-up to retain the title. And this is a rare occasion where I'm giving a segment a good despite not liking it at all. Why? The MSG crowd was on fire for this match. So clearly it was supremely entertaining to them. The problem is I didn't get to see it. So how am I going to judge something that I didn't really see from a match quality standpoint? The finish was formulaic, but at least it wasn't random. We know that Deadly and Theory have been working together. And since Theory is a heel, this is precisely how he probably should have retained the title over Sheamus. So I'm giving this a benefit of the doubt good, but this was in the entirely wrong spot on the card it should have been an hour or two it got cut for time in terms of not the match length but what we were able to see from the match and that was really disappointing i mean it was
1: fine it just it felt like the same thing we get from austin theory every single time he retains because he gets help and yada yada and so like i'm just waiting for something interesting to happen with him it's really remarkable how absolutely forgettable and boring mm-hmm. this u.s title run is i'm really really hoping on friday you've got theory out there talking about how great he is and then la night's music hits crowd goes nuts mm-hmm. we got energy and we get into something and la night cuts a great promo runs him down boom then we're going like i we had theorized no pun intended Seamus theory U.S. title SummerSlam possibly the idea. Well, now LA Knight's crazy over. Let's throw LA Knight in there. Run Seamus theory. Get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Just needs something to happen, man. For I just this t- for, for as good as the Intercontinental stuff has been with Gunther, just nothing more Nothing going on with the U.S. title. As, as far as this segment, I'll give it a light good because it wasn't bad. I just I just didn't really care. And it's just been that way for a while. And it's it's not Seamus's fault. I've, I've enjoyed him, but it's just same thing we got many, many times
0: before. You said exactly what needed to be said. First of all, this is an awful U.S. title run. And it's 100% booking. Like, theory, maybe he could be doing a little bit better in certain ways. He's being booked like absolute shit. There was, you know, when he failed on the Money in the Bank cash-in and we were all really down on him, then he came back out. The next week and we're like, oh, shit, Triple H did have a plan like, you know, and and we're really, really optimistic about him. Then he got the title and we're like, "Okay, it's fine for him to get the title again. And then it's just completely fallen apart, like in every way. I know he was gone for a period of time. He had something personal that happened. But when he came back, it's just been. Dead air, usually when he's on the screen, I mean, people like to boo him and that's a good thing, but that's it. The matches are formulaic. The storylines have sucked. He's not being featured. It's just, it's dead air every single time. And the other point that she made, Chris, it would be absolute creative malpractice if LA Knight is not immediately booked to go over Theory for the US title SummerSlam weekend. It doesn't even have to be on SummerSlam. That's gonna be a huge card. If you do it on the SmackDown before, if you do it on the SmackDown before SummerSlam, it's it's fine. But Theory is an ice cold heel who the fans will easily boo. Knight is a red-hot face who the fans are dying to cheer. Plus, the other two champions on the blue brand right now, they're already heels. If the Silver King had the book, Chris, created for this angle, as you just said, would begin this coming Friday with Knight winning his way to becoming the number one contender in about two weeks' time, then it's Knight and Theory, either on SmackDown before or on SummerSlam. With Knight the new US Champion, it changes the course of the title, it allows theory to reset himself and night gets massively over in front of a huge crowd.
1: Yeah, it's it's down the road, we'll have to see. But my brother actually texted me the same thing. If 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 LA Knight theory happens, would that be on SmackDown instead of SummerSlam? Probably. Like I could totally see that being the case. I really, really don't want it to because LA Knight is one of the most over things you have in this company. You blew it with WrestleMania. You gotta have him on SummerSlam in some Form, whether that's the match or whether he wins on SmackDown, cuts a promo on, uh, sure. on SummerSlam. Sure, or something. that's what you do.
0: Got to have him on that
1: SummerSlam show in
0: some form. SummerSlam may have four women's matches, not to mention two men's title matches, a tag team. T- I mean, there's a lot on this card. Logan Paul and Ricochet are on there. I don't know that they're going to have space for the U.S. title. So I agree with you. You put the match on SmackDown, you get LA Knight somehow on SummerSlam. Hell, make him host of the damn show for all I care. Uh, You do something like that, you make sure he's on the card. Uh, Becky Lynch fought Zoe Stark on Raw. Zoe had a nice seated springboard twisting scent on. Becky countered Z360 with an inverted DDT, but ate a perfect super kick. Stark countered an O'Connor roll trying to grab the ropes, but the referee caught her. Lynch tried the same. Then Becky countered Z360 and booted Stratus through the ropes, only to get caught with a roll up from Stark for the upset in 10 minutes. Really nice job by Corey Graves here, pointing out Lynch probably had the match won if she had not been focused on Trish and was just fully focused on Zoe. It was a massive win for Zoe. She continues to build legitimacy. Nice way to extend the storyline before we ultimately get Becky versus Trish, which we assume is going to be at SummerSlam. Becky is dealing with a minor injury. This match almost didn't happen on Monday. Trish is obviously in the face mask. Maybe they need to delay it. Either way, this was clearly good. And it's nice to see Zoe get pushed like this because. She does have a significant future if they get behind her. And this was a solid match too. I think I was probably at 3.5 stars and a B for it.
1: It was a really solid match. And I, I like Zoe start getting the wind and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, just, it was exactly what it needed to be. You know, it was a good and don't really got much else to say really. All
0: right. Ricochet entered first for the scheduled face-to-face with Logan Paul. He cut a babyface promo about he, how he's motivated to entertain the fans. But Logan Paul is disrespectful to him and the industry. He didn't like how Logan blamed Ricochet for putting him in danger when Logan's the one who said he doesn't even know what he's doing in the ring. The fans were definitely behind him throughout this. Logan made a short joke when he came out. He put Ricochet over for his athleticism, but said fans cared more about Logan losing than Ricochet winning at Money in the Bank. Logan called him a reckless amateur and unprofessional. Ricochet said he was going to be a pro and just challenge him, but instead he warned him never to run his mouth about him again. Logan took more shots at Ricochet's look saying that he respected him and he respects that he wants to fight so that he can go viral. That being his motivation, Logan said he doesn't care about going viral. He's a WWE superstar and he didn't think it would actually work out for them to have a match. So Ricochet ran the ropes and did a somersault plancha landing right in front of Logan, just like he did Velveteen Dream in NXT. If you don't know that or you don't remember it, I tweeted out a clip at Getting Overcast on Twitter. Logan attempted to sucker punch him, but Ricochet instead dodged it and hit sliced bread off the ring apron to end the segment on top. All of this worked, okay? Ricochet had a bit of like a sink or swim moment in the ring by having the mic by himself with no one to help him. I'm not sure how many times that's happened on the main roster to Ricochet. Definitely fewer than a handful, maybe only the second or third time ever. He did well enough, I would say, 6.5 out of 10. The intonation in his voice is just not there. It never has been, and it's never going to be. But the crowd was behind him. His word choice was good, like the promo, what he decided to speak about. Logan was great, both giving and receiving. And the two spots to end the segment will indeed get a lot of social media attention building to SummerSlam. It may even be a two-on-one handicap match, Chris. Logan against Ricochet and the FDA. I cannot believe... When they called this a face-to-face, though, that I did not recall the somersault plancha spot from NXT. It should have been the first thing in my head. Clearly, I liked it, and this was good.
1: I got to start off this. This this is a big moment for you. We've talked about on this podcast many times. You're always wanting that ricochet push, always wanting that ricochet moment, much as the way I was with LA Knight. Mm -hmm. And you're getting it here. You finally, Ricochet is out there doing this. He's got a big profile, yes, he does. match, promo, whole thing. You got you to gotta feel good about that. He's finally getting this opportunity that so many stops and starts. You thought they were pushing him. You thought they were pushing him. He's finally getting that. You got to feel pretty good about that.
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I'm not as big of a Ricochet fan as you are an LA Knight fan. I like him a lot. My, my issue with Ricochet is he's just a perfect mid-carder, an upper mid carter where you can use him in title situations at any time. He can be part of a tag team like he was with Braun Strowman. They legitimately could have been tag team champions if... They were teaming at a different time, and obviously Strowman didn't get hurt. It worked so well together. The crowd loves mm-hmm. this guy. He's incredible in the ring. He's not great cutting promos, but he did pretty well here. He did well enough here where now WWE can say, you know what? We can use him in all these situations going forward. He may not be yeah. the best. He may, I- not, he may not be a 9 out of 10 like LA Knight, but if he can do six out of 6.5 out of 10 every single time, that's good enough. I
1: loved this back and forth between them. Like, look, I said after Money in the Bank, the money match to do is Logan Paul versus LA Knight. But Ricochet sold me in this. Yeah. The back and forth between them and Logan Paul basically being like, dude, you keep talking about me wanting to go viral or whatever. You're the one who wants to go viral. I'm here to win. I'm a superstar. I'm kicking butt being a wrestler. Like, <laughs> he, he's right, man. Like, he, he, like, everything he said was right. Logan Paul, again, he... He is better at doing pro wrestling than he is at anything else. He does like, like this is what he was born to do. Forget the podcasting, the YouTube stuff, the whatever (laughs) agreed, man. Like this is what this is what he was meant to do. And he is killing it every time. And Ricochet stepped up and he was there. And I said, so like when Ricochet did the somersault jump flip out of the ring in front of Velveteen Dream years ago, I said in that moment, That if WWE didn't make this guy feel like a superhero, they will have completely failed. And to this point, he doesn't feel like that. They haven't figured out. They haven't made it work. But bringing that move back for this was brilliant. It's incredible. It Mm -hmm. is ridiculous that he can do that. However, one... They didn't do a good camera angle for it. They did not like do Like they the did in the NXT. Angle. Correct. The, the camera angle is from the side. And so it, it wasn't as like, I just, they didn't nail that. And If mm-hmm. you want that image, that spot to go viral, you've got to have a better camera angle because it's going to be the live shot that goes. Second of all, the crowd barely reacted to it. I know. I couldn't believe it. I, I went nuts when I saw it happen. I said, oh my God, he did the thing. And the crowd didn't react at all. I could not believe that. That stunned me. I don't know why that was odd, but aside from that stuff that wasn't in their control, I thought the segment was spectacular and I'm fired up for these guys and uh, in, in what they've got coming leading up into SummerSlam and then at SummerSlam.
0: Two things real quick. I'm very happy, unlike you, that he's not made into a superhero because that's what they tried to do with him when he got called up and it flatlined. It just didn't work. He has that ability, but if you're gonna try to force this guy into like a Mighty Mouse role, and they did that with Neville as well, uh, you know, Pop. Yeah, now. no, it was the no. same thing. They tried to make I him a mean, superhero, and he's just better than that. Like, I know that. I don't. I, know, I don't mean literally. I know. I know you don't mean that in a corny way like that. I'm just saying, like, allow him to show his athleticism, but you don't need to like go to that end. Uh, Finn Balor, the extraordinary man who does extraordinary things. We don't need that shit anymore. That, that shit was old, no. right? Um, now, that, that's number one. Number two, you mentioned the crowd not reacting. Now, I did not think this Buffalo... People were praising this Buffalo crowd like it was incredible. I actually didn't think it was that good outside of hour one. But I'm going to give them a break here. In NXT, if you watch the clip with Velveteen Dream, it similarly gets almost no reaction from the crowd. And there's a reason why. It's shock. You see this guy do it, and your mouth is open. You're not cheering for it. You're like, holy shit, did he really just do that? In NXT, it had an emphasis because Ricochet landed on a metal grate that makes a bang. Here, he just landed on something that was soft or a concrete or whatever. It made no noise. So he didn't have the impact of the landing and the crowd reaction again, they're not just gonna like explode in cheers because he didn't hit anyone. He just did something that was so impressive that you're looking at it in stunned silence. So I don't blame the crowd for that. And again, if you watch the NXT clip, that NXT crowd, black and gold back in the day, they went wild for anything. And they didn't go that wild for it. They did for the stare down that followed with him in Velveteen Dream. But just the move, they were like, oh, what the hell did I just see? And that's why the reaction was that way. That's a good point. That's a good point, Uh, Shayna Baszler fought Emma. Uh, Baszler got approached backstage by Emma, who was trying to praise her for taking out Ronda Rousey. Baszler took exception to it. That led to the match. Shayna won in 90 seconds with the Karifuda Clutch. Rousey confronted with a straight right to Baszler's face and a takedown. They brawled MMA style, countering submissions before Shayna escaped. Now forget the match being short. Emma, by the way, was absolute shit here. I don't know what she was doing. This was all about the post-match angle. I thought the post-match angle was great. Give me Rousey Baszler, Inside the fight pit at SummerSlam, even though it was 90 seconds, even though the Baszler and Emma part was clearly bad, the Rousey Baszler part for the second straight week was good.
1: Yep, totally agree. The match was whatever, bad, not great, but the post-match was solid, and and it was good to follow up on that, and these two have some good heat. Like We talked about it last week, the really good promo between the two, and um, they built off of that, so it was good.
0: Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez were backstage planning to watch a women's tag team match to keep an eye on the competition. Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville took exception to them, not fully focusing on them as number one contenders. Ripley then got in the champion's faces, telling them not to get in her business ever again. Chelsea tried to co-sign Rhea by like talking over her shoulder in truly hysterical fashion. You could argue that what Chelsea did with Rhea was the best thing on the entire show. And her basketball line was the line of the entire night. Uh, Except instead of Ripley loving that, she got stared down. She stared down Green instead. And then Ripley went face to face with Rodriguez. Morgan said they're not scared of Rhea and they were happy to have Natalia's back last week. Then Rodriguez said they would stop Ripley and she would have to deal with it. This was actually an extremely strong character segment for all six of the women involved. This was maybe one of the best, like, women's personality segments that WWE has done in a long time. It was one of my favorite things on the entire show and an easy good for me.
1: Oh, I love this. I popped huge for the basketball line. I just it was everybody looked good at this. It Just it totally worked fun to mix and match stuff. Uh, Absolute good.
0: Now, I do have something to talk about with Ripley here, and then I have something to talk about with her later here I just got to say, I'm massively disappointed that we ended another week without Rhea having a true number one contender for her title, even though it clearly feels like Raquel is being primed for that spot. Just think about this though, Chris, since WrestleMania, Zelina Vega got a title shot mostly because she was Puerto Rican. And then Natalia got two because she's a veteran and she got squashed the first time and she wanted to rematch. Becky is busy with Trish. Ronda and Shayna are feuding. And then they're doing this thing with Raquel, but she just won the tag team titles. It's one thing to like challenge for a title. It's another to be built up as a challenger. It feels like on Raw, they're doing a good job getting a lot of women featured, but they're not actually building up individual challengers for the most important woman on the show right now, who is Rhea Ripley. It feels like they crowned her and they just don't know what to do next. Like this is SummerSlam. I know there's still a few weeks and I think it's pretty clear the direction they're going, but am I crazy to think this way?
1: No, I I mean, you just, you laid it all out. Rhea hasn't done much individually. However, Her being part of the Judgment Day has very much kept her relevant, kept her at the front of the screen. She just carried, you know, she was just part of the group that carried Raw Mm -hmm. and played a big part of it. So it's not like they're not
0: doing it. No, no, it's not about her. It's about other women around her.
1: Right, right. It's just, it's kind of in a weird spot where you have stuff going on and no one quite fits. I don't know if you should just bring somebody over from SmackDown to do something, but you would like her to have some more meaningful wins. And if we're gonna do Rhea Raquel at SummerSlam or the SmackDown before SummerSlam, that would be a big moment for her, presuming Rhea wins. But yeah, she just she's won. She just hasn't she she hasn't doesn't have any real notable victories since winning the title. That's
0: In April, (laughs) in the beginning of April.
1: It's the book, it's, it's the booking, but like you said, it's not like the other women aren't doing anything that's not good. uh, Ronda Shane is good. Becky Trish is good. Right. It's just like, I don't know.
0: That's all, that's what I'm saying. It's, that's what I'm saying. It's not that the women's booking is bad. It's not, it's not that Ripley's being treated bad. She's not, she's, she was the most featured person on, on Raw on Monday. Raw, not SmackDown, by the way. And we'll talk about that in a little Mm -hmm. bit, but her, she doesn't have challengers. She's She doesn't need to get more over because she's super over. But I do want to see her wrestle in meaningful matches against legitimate contenders. And they're just not doing that for her. And that's my frustration. So we'll talk more about Ripley coming yeah. up in a moment. Uh, but the match that this preceded, the Villain Green against Caden Carter and Katana Chance. Katana did a splash off Caden's shoulders off on the top rope. Chelsea won by catching Katana in a pin combination with Sonia grabbing her feet on the ropes for extra leverage. First of all, the crowd could not have given a single shit about this match. When I tell you they were dead silent, I am not exaggerating one Iona, I saw Buffalo, I mentioned this earlier, multiple times get praise on Monday. I thought it was a mediocre crowd that completely petered off and was pitiful during the last two women's segments. Then again, what did they really have to cheer about? Two minutes and 30 seconds of rushed wrestling in a match, by the way, that was totally unnecessary given the heels had already become number one contenders by running through the entire division, including the KCs, last week. You had Katana Chance and Caden Carter, who debuted with a really good featured match against Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. And then they lose in five minutes to DeVille and Green, and then two minutes and 30 seconds to DeVille and Green. This was straight up bad in every way, really close to an ugly as far as I'm concerned, what the fuck are we doing with these short, shitty, worthless women's matches? Block at zero.
1: Yep, this was the bad. This is, I think, the first bad we're both giving to the show. It was just a rematch. Nothing happened. No crowd didn't care. I was just kind of whatever. Like, it's the problem was when last week you had Sonya and. Uh, Chelsea run through the entire tag team division was that there's nobody left now. (laughs) Right. And so, well, we've got a lot of, we got a lot of time till summertime. time. So I guess we're just going to have to run one of those back. And so we did that and it was just
0: not great. This goes to what I was saying last week, instead of the five woman or five women's team turmoil match, if they had done a triple threat with the three legitimate teams, and then let's say Caden and Katana didn't factor into the finish then you could have this match of this week, give them six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 minutes and have DeVille and Green get over them and say, see, we really are the number one contenders. They get established, Caden and Katana get a match that's meaningful and everyone's better off for it. Instead, two minutes and 30 seconds of just absolute bullshit. Now, next week is the women's tag team title match with Rodriguez seemingly being primed for Ripley, as we just discussed. And WWE clearly doing its best to make DeVille and Green the top heel team in the entire division now. Am I crazy to think that they actually just change the titles next week with Liv and Raquel being used as transitional champions? Maybe Rhea cost them the titles and that leads to the singles feud against Rodriguez at SummerSlam. I have to believe that's the direction we're going.
1: Like, it's certainly possible but if we really took the titles away from Ronda and Shayna just for that that next team to drop them like 3 weeks later give me a break like the
0: it's a I, class, I it's a classic transitional champion possible. deal though because you can't have Deville also, and Green beat Rousey and Baszler I mean you can you could I think yeah.
1: you, I, I I I think yeah I just Especially because the point wasn't even live and Ra- live and Raquel winning. It was Shayna turning on Ronda. Right. You could have Shane turn on Ronda and the heels win. And you're like, what the F just happened? I, like you could have totally done that. I really hope that's not what they do. I think you could have Raquel go into the, go into a singles title match as a tag team champion. If anything, it might make the tag team titles look good. Like they had, you know, when, when, when Beck, when Bailey and Sasha were doing all of that. So
0: And by the way, when they when they planned when they planned to have Sasha Banks and Naomi as the women's tag team champions challenge the two individual champions for both brands and they walked out over it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So like it's possible. I love what Chelsea Green and Sony are doing. We need to get the Chelsea Green Samantha Irvin intro drop into this show, too, by the way. I'll do that. We we, we need to do that. it's, It's incredible. Yeah. We need to do that. So it's. I love what they're doing. I'd love for them to be tag team champs. I just don't want it to happen right now since we just had a title change. And like, you kind of want them to have that moment at a, at a bigger show. But if Raquel's going to be fighting on SummerSlam, I don't know. Maybe you have tag team title match on SmackDown and Raquel. I'm sorry. SmackDown before SummerSlam and Raquel fighting on, on SummerSlam. Obviously we're doing the match this week. So we'll see, or next week. So we'll see. Um, I'm very confused by all of it. I'm kind of rambling.
0: I think they lose the titles this week. That's just, I I just have a feeling that's what's going to happen. Now, one other thing I'll say, I've been teasing this about Ripley and I mentioned it and you mentioned it. She was all over Raw on Monday. Like a far cry the way they booked her during her first title reign on the main roster back when she got called up. It is clear WWE is not only recognizing the fact that Ripley has it, but they're using her in a way that women are not generally utilized on wrestling shows. Like you could argue Raw on Monday completely centered around Rhea Ripley. She was involved in the top men's segment, the number two women's segment, and she was seen on screen more times during the broadcast than anyone else on the entire roster. That is awesome. I mean, she's great, obviously. Like as a person, she's great. Great as a character. Judgment Day has completely elevated her and I just wanted her to get that praise because you mentioned it earlier, but I had scheduled to say yeah. it here.
1: She she feels like a star again yeah. in the way that was not the case during her first title reign. So e- even though she's not really doing much individually as the champion, mm-hmm. just her as a character is completely working. And she can, she's the centerpiece of a Monday Night Raw, and it worked, and she deserved it. So that was great.
0: The idea coming out of NXT was that Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley would completely transform the women's division in WWE. And we got it with Belair for two years. And that entire time we're looking at Ripley and we're like, why aren't they pulling the trigger? Why can't they book her properly? Why is this not working? And boom, there you go. Triple H gets the book. Rhea Ripley completely elevated. And now she is one of the top, what, four women maybe on the entire roster, maybe even higher than that. So great stuff that they're oh, yeah, doing Absolutely. Doing uh Oh, yeah, absolutely. Tommaso Ciampa fought The Miz in a no-disqualification match. They each avoided chair-assisted finishers. Ciampa then threw a chair at Miz while he was flying, and he wrapped one around his neck, running him into the ring post. He also put the announcer table lid at an angle and backdropped The Miz into it. Miz flew with a trash can lid, only to get caught midair with a huge knee. Ciampa then stomped the lid into Miz and used it to hit three brutal running knees in the corner. The crowd was going crazy, and they popped even more when the table was finally set up. And Champa hit avalanche air raid crash off the ropes straight through the table. He was set to pin the Miz when Bronson Reed pulled him out of the ring and attacked. He followed with Tsunami as Miz slowly crawled over for the one, two, three. And that, Chris, was actually the Miz's first win of 2023. Now, look, Triple H having the book is a massive positive in most cases. And then you get creative like this, and you remember, sometimes he cares way too much about heels getting heat and not enough about baby faces getting over. Hey, this booking stuff isn't easy, you know. Instead of giving Champa a much-needed win over Miz in a big spot, a moment that would have gotten a massive pop given the way the crowd was totally primed for it after the air raid crashed through the table. Instead of that, Champa loses the match with Reed and Miz getting heat that neither of them really need because they've already established themselves as big-time heels in their respective roles. Not counting Shayna, who just turned face and got a 90-second nothing win, and maybe the Ricochet stuff and and Drew McIntyre, they won that match. The heels on Raw Monday night won or got over in Every other instance across three hours in both matches and segments. Now, what was this done to bring Johnny Gargano back and reform DIY? Absolutely possible. Almost definitely possible.
1: Dude, this is the third time you've predicted this.
0: It's going to happen
1: because they keep <laughs> so teasing. It. Coming back to help Champa.
0: They keep teasing that Champa, you know, <laughs> is going to do it himself, which is the DIY mantra. And at the end of this, they talked about him needing someone to get his back. They're teasing it. It's going to happen. But the point I'm making is even if that's the plan, I would have had Champa thwart Reed with a kick out of the ring, win the match, get the huge pop, and then get absolutely destroyed in the post-match attack. Champa is not an established big name baby face yet. He's someone that you're still building and you want fans to cheer for this guy and getting that win and getting that crowd explosion, to me, it just would have been worthwhile. You need moments like that. This was still a banger match. I almost stole Sheamus' thunder there. And it was good because Champa was featured. The work was strong across the board. I just would have booked it differently. And again, just because they didn't book it the way I would book it doesn't mean it was bad, which is why I gave it a good. I'm just saying I think it was a missed opportunity for Champa.
1: You're, you're not wrong in that it was a big opportunity for Champa. But let's not forget, he did win a few weeks ago. He did.
0: He won his return the- match,
1: Yes. Yes. And that was that was only a four minute match that was in Cleveland when I think you thought Johnny Gargano was going to be the one to answer I, the call. I certainly did. But so like he he does he, he does have a win over the Miz. So like I can I can understand like hey, he came back, he got a win, he got a moment. Let's move into something here. I normally I hate run ins for matches, but the more than any, the one time they work is when it's a no disqualification match. Because you, you don't run in interference, bell rings, right. and you roll your it's eyes. It's not a DQ. No, yeah. he interferes, and then the Miz gets the win, and you're like, oh, dang, that dastardly heel did that. So I actually, I like this. I I mean, obviously the match was great. Crowd was on fire, like I said at the beginning of the show. Um, and I was fine with the finish, because now I, this is going to move us into a Champa bronson reed thing, which we will probably like, and NXT fans will like, I am curious if the general Raw audience will be interested because I don't know if either one of them are well known enough to the general crowd or at least especially have character in Champa being a baby face. But for what this was on Raw, I really liked it. I was fine with the finish and I, I certainly give it a good. Um, and also, I, I also thought like, man, Miz taking that move off the top rope through a table, That is not something that happens to The Miz very often. Like his whole thing is, he is very safe. Doesn't, you know, doesn't put himself in dangerous spots. Not that that was a dangerous spot, but like it jumped out. I, and I think part of the reason the crowd reacted so much to it was because we know The Miz is typically not put through a table off the top rope. So credit to the design of the match and, and everybody
0: involved. Dude, The Miz has been working his ass off since WrestleMania. Acknowledge. acknowledge, big acknowledgement acknowledge right there. Like We got to acknowledge, acknowledge. <laughs> still riddles thunder there too. We got to acknowledge that this guy is just putting it all out there. He's having great matches, good to great matches. And he is just taking big moves. And man, credit to Miz, at this later stage of his career for still doing all this stuff. It's really impressive. And yeah, you know, it, it, the other thing about Champa, it's actually surprising. He gets bigger reactions since returning without much storyline reason for it than he did when he initially debuted and everyone was anticipating it and he was working with Miz and granted he was in that heel role with Miz. It was kind of awkward, but still he's getting reactions beyond the way he's been booked, which is impressive. And that's why I wanted them to capitalize on it here. You're right. We're probably going to get Champa and Reed next week. Miz, Gargano, tag team situation, reformation of DIY. It's happening, folks. I'm almost positive of it. Let's move to AJ Styles against and Cross from SmackDown. AJ, a cross hammer seconds after the bell, but escaped crossjacket jacket with a jawbreaker. He hit Pele kick, but Scarlett stopped the phenomenal forearm. So Mi Chin took her out. Styles then punched Cross in the back of the neck, hit phenomenal forearm, and pinned him in two minutes. Now, again, you have to believe basically this entire match was cut for time because what they did was give us the finish immediately after the bell. There was no match. Another reason why that opening segment should not have gone 35 minutes. Uh, More than 75 minutes into SmackDown, and we were able to watch from home about seven or eight minutes of wrestling total. That includes the Sheamus and Austin Theory match. I think that it's unfair to grade this because no way they planned this to go for two minutes. What we got was nice, but I want to give it a rare, and I don't even know if we've ever done it before, I want to give it an incomplete because it wasn't good. It wasn't bad. And it was two minutes long. And I don't think that was the plan.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's why, like, when the LA Knight thing came up afterward, I was like, this would have been the perfect thing to slide in here <laughs> length, lengthwise and all that. So I don't I, I I'm i going to say we can't say incomplete, complete, though, because it was a thing and it, it wasn't a promo segment. I'm, I'm going to say bad. I think we have to grade it. I think there's no... no
0: the reason I there. would give it bad, though, is for it being two minutes, but it wasn't their fault, nor was it booked that way. So that's why I don't feel it's fair to give it a bad. Well, and I don't I feel it's fair to give one. it good because it was two minutes. So, <laughs> I mean...
1: Right. We we have to judge on based on what it was. We, we've we've done this before. I, like, no, it, it, I don't know that we have. It's not like a vignette package or something, you got to grade it.
0: I don't know that we've ever done it when something got cut for time and we didn't accept and acknowledge that. And if that's the case, then I'll, if you're making me give it a grade, I'll give it a good because... I think it probably would have been good, but what we got was incomplete. We got nothing. We got two minutes and it wasn't planned that way. So, all right, fine. Uh, one thing I will say about Cross I see a lot of fans like hating him and criticizing Triple H still for bringing him back. Folks, this is exactly how Cross should be used not in a two minute match, but to put over bigger stars. He's big and strong. He's believable as an upper mid Carter. The problem with Cross and NXT was Triple H refused to book him as anything other than the big, bad, dominant champion main eventer. He brought him into SmackDown in that main event segment attacking Drew McIntyre. But ever since then, they realized him being in the main event is not the proper role for him. I think that's a positive development. Triple H learned his lesson and he's utilizing this guy appropriately. I don't understand why anyone has an issue with that.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. If you think, hey, AJ Styles should be doing something different. That's fine. Sure. I agree. This guy should be in... in world title pictures all the time but that has nothing to do with carrying cross you know he he's a he's a mid card to low mid card spot i think they have a good look and yet they do enough where a win over him means something like that's exactly what he's for
0: yeah i completely agree by the way did you see pictures of cross and scarlet at the bar, uh, barbie premiere for the movie
1: i saw them and Liv morgan was there
0: so first of all Liv obviously looked she had that barbie look going for her and that's really i think all that needs to be said. I was delaying to find this. But it good, but she's got me saying hey now. But the pictures of Cross and Scarlet, I'll tell you this right now, okay? If they repackaged them and like they had a mental break and they became like a dollhouse style dream couple, it would work. <laughs> I'm telling you it would work. Dude, they looked great. I'm love I'm loving that.
1: Not the same as like a fire like almost like a Firefly Funhouse thing, but like not trying to be spooky necessarily like spooky not trying to be spooky but just like literally doing that like yeah it would work
0: work. i'm telling you
1: like he he, like he dresses you know take away the leather jacket he can dress nice she you know can doll up very easily as we saw in those pictures i think that'd be like a really fun idea give give them a character like 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 i said what they're doing now is not bad like the card stuff whatever like it's not the most important thing but like it's it's fine but you just throwing that out there the idea that they just like Go off into this other world and they're like a doll couple. I think that's a great
0: idea. It's like a 180, is what it is. It's just such a stark difference yeah. from what they're currently doing. I think it would get massively over. But hey, that's just me. Uh Alpha Academy held a graduation ceremony for Maxine Dupree. The crowd popped for all of their lines. Maxine came out in a pink graduation gown and complimented Gable while getting you deserve it chance. Then she put over Otis's looks saying that getting drawn to him made it all possible. She also thanked the fans and did a thank you. Otis then went full Chris Farley, taking off his shirt and putting on a varsity jacket. Yes. Gable had Maxine take off her cap and gown before giving her the same jacket. The Viking Raiders interrupted, as expected, with Valhalla briefly attacking her from behind and stealing the jacket. You might not like this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Look, we obviously all love Alpha Academy. And I think most of us that don't take wrestling too seriously love the corny comedy aspects and all these types of segments. But I just got to tell you, I thought this was kind of a rough segment. I didn't find it particularly funny. Otis doing the Chris Farley was the funniest part. It was kind of formulaic. And while the crowd did pop, it just continued a storyline that it should have ended last week with Maxine pinning Valhalla. Not everything needs to last for multiple months. This should have been a spot, in my opinion, where they brought back maximum male models to confront them, take the jacket, call it ugly, rip it up. This may be a surprise to some. And I think this is a segment that was universally loved. The Silver King's going bad. It just didn't work for me. And while Gable may be okay with Otis and being happy-go-lucky in what they're doing, I just want him in something more substantial. You can still do comedy and wrestle in meaningful matches as Orange Cassidy has proven.
1: Wow. I know. This is one of the biggest disagreements I think we've ever had in the podcast. This is hilarious, man. Like It was funny. funny. The crowd was really yeah. into it. That's ultimately what this is, is about. Look, if you want to say, hey, the tag team titles aren't doing anything, I want to see Alpha Academy go get the titles, that's fine. If, 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 if you want to say Chad Gable should be doing more wrestling that's fine but i don't think that takes away from how fun and enjoyable this was this thing is totally working and it continues to work every single week i'm glad you mentioned the chris farley letter jacket thing i wrote that down in my (laughs) notes i wasn't sure if people were going to get it a very specific reference yeah that he absolutely nailed also there was the you know the The Dominic ria Seth line earlier that was kind of sexualized at the beginning of the show. This got to the point where Maxine is wearing the gown, and it felt Attitude Era-esque, where they're like leaning into like what's underneath the gown, and you're waiting for Chad Gable to say take off the gown. And part of me was like, is she just wearing like underwear underneath? Yeah, are they really going to show this? (laughs) I agree. Like they just had built it up, and it had that exact same feeling. And no, she's wearing her leotard or whatever you want to call it yeah ring um, yeah, and, and look great and everything but uh i i thought this was great and the idea of giving her the jacket the thank you like she's getting that over like crazy too i just everything about this was hilarious man and and look a, a couple months ago we thought alpha academy were about to be broken up by maxine dupree and we did not want that to happen because we think the two of them have great chemistry together i think this is totally working. I love this segment I thought it was great. I love the idea of stealing the letter jacket and all kinds of stuff like these these big bad Vikings are entering up a graduation segment and stealing a letter jacket <laughs> like, what? It, like it, 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 it's so weird yeah but that's why it's funny and everybody involved is giving it all they've got. Uh, I I thought this was great. I can't believe believe you're giving this a bad. Well, no,
0: I'm giving it a bad. I recognize all the reasons people like it. And I don't dislike it because it was corny. I like it because it was corny. I don't dislike it because parts of it were funny. All that's fine. My issue is it's continuing a storyline that doesn't need to continue. And even though there were elements of it that I found entertaining, in totality, it was just, I thought a really odd and weird segment. So look, we gotta be, Uh, critical here. And yeah, I'm going bad. That's the grade. It's a light bad. It wasn't terrible. It was certainly better than a lot of other things that I gave um, bad on this show already. But you know, would I have done this segment this way? I would have shortened it up. I would have changed some of it a little bit more comedy heavy, some pratfalls or something. I don't know. I would have made it something that stood out more and ended better than just she steals the jacket and then they're all staring at each other like, Oh, okay, now she has the jacket. I don't know, it just didn't hit for me. Some things don't hit for me, it's how it goes. But I do recognize, and I don't criticize anyone for enjoying it. I understand why everyone liked it so much, for sure. Lastly, Chris, uh, InduShore got a new look promo package speaking through rain and lightning. Jinder Mahal talked about victory coming at all costs, but being an illusion of fools. I don't even know what that means. He said some more things that didn't make any sense. It looked kind of cool, but nothing meant anything. And these packages... Make them look and appear so much more interesting than they ultimately are in the ring where they get in there and they're big guys lumbering around. they clearly have talent, their presentation doesn't work. This gets a light bad i i I wanted to give them another chance. They got two or three matches. It was the same Indu sure. I don't think they're getting any better.
1: I yeah th- this is an example of something not to grade. Um, <laughs> I don't know I like I, I still really like their potential. I don't really think they needed a rebrand or anything, so I don't know. We'll see, I guess.
0: All right, folks, that was the good, the bad, and the ugly, leaving us with our final segment, The Last Word. So DJ, take the and just drop it on the record. We gonna have in a second. That's why we always save the best cut to so make you scratch for it like fresh cut grass. Let me also say, before we continue, if anyone has heard in the faint background something that sounds like snoring, my dog, his head is pressed up against the wall vertically, snoring his ass off. Now, normally I'd be a professional and stop, but it's my dog. I love him, and I'm not going to wake him up in the middle of whatever dream he's having. So if you happen to hear that, my bad. Regardless, Tony D writes in via email, not that Tony D, just a coincidence. Tony D. It is not an Italian last name. <laughs> it is a Spanish-sounding last name. He writes in via email, Silver King, I saw you tweet that you watched Fast X this week, which got me thinking what are your three favorite non-WWE performances from The Rock? I love this question. I think it speaks right to you and my wheelhouse. We love talking about movies and TV and all that type of stuff. It actually wasn't that hard for me to come up with my three. So I'm going to give them to you. The clear number one in my mind, I don't even think there's a question, is Central Intelligence, Uh, the movie comedy with Kevin Hart, mixes his comedy chops with his action abilities, great cast, legitimately funny script, clear chemistry with Kevin Hart, and a really entertaining movie in totality. Number 2 was tougher. I'm actually going Jumanji, more so the first Jumanji than the second, but both of them. Again, mixing comedy and action, freaking Jack Black is great. It's good for families of all age, kids of all ages and families, and while less funny than Central Intelligence, still legitimately enjoyable. And number 3, It's probably when he hosted Saturday Night Live in 2009. It Mm. was his breakout role. He was so natural doing it. In terms of like Fast and Furious, I did like him initially when he joined this franchise as Hobbs, the first like two or three movies he was in. He was great. Then they did Hobbs and Shaw. And ever since then, it's just completely fallen apart. And I don't like the character anymore, but the initial entry into Fast and Furious was great. So Central Intelligence, Jumanji, and then hosting SNL. That's my one through three. Chris, what about you?
1: We had some more overlap than I thought. First thing I'll say, though, my favorite running bit in the Fast franchise is that the pro wrestlers who are in it do their finishing moves. Uh, There's a fight between Hobbs and Shaw where the rock gives the rock bottom uh, to to Shaw. Roman Reigns uh, in Hobbs and Shaw gives a guy a spear. And in Fast X, we have John Cena giving someone an AA through multiple floors of a well, house. You're giving so. a spoiler for I a do, movie I, that I, people I,
0: can't even watch. Oh, come on, you got to give a spoiler alert on that. But okay.
1: What do you mean the movie can't go? Also, that's not a spoiler. John Cena does an AA. I didn't even spoil and saying what happens. In the I know, but wrestling
0: fans, time. for wrestling fans, they care uh, about what Cena does in the movie. Go ahead.
1: John Cena does an AA. My <laughs> three. My first one is, um, oddly enough, the rundown. Okay. Did you ever see this yeah. movie with Sean Sean William Scott, mm-hmm. Rosario Dawson, Christopher Walken? He's like an ex-football player, bounty hunter, I think, who's called to help in this like Latin America country or something like that. Really, him and Sean William Scott were great in the movie. I've seen that movie a million times. Really, really like it. I think it's underrated. Uh, also, um, have to include Moana. Okay. W- Never he, seen it. Uh, have you seen Moana?
0: No, I heard it's great. Really? Yeah. I've heard Uh, it's awesome.
1: It's, it's great. One of the, one of the, one of the better Disney animated movies of the last decade, probably, uh, he plays Maui. He does a lot of the songs, really fun, fun movie. That's clearly up there for me. Top three. My last one, I was between like you Jumanji and Saturday night live. And I also think about his first Saturday night live back in 2000, right ahead of WrestleMania 2000. Mm -hmm. That was a really fun one. He came back uh, a number of years later and did one of the one of the one of the best SNL segments, I think, that I always go back and watch him and um, I forgot what his name is, but they're doing the WrestleMania promos and they're cutting promos on each other leading into a match. Mm-hmm. And it turns out The Rock like catfished his opponent and found out all this information <laughs> about him yes. like, and just degrades him. It's yeah. really, really funny. And The Rock so that, Obama was in that one that.
0: too. That was 2009. Yeah. That's yes. what I'm talking about.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's probably my number three with Jumanji just on the outside of that.
0: So no central intelligence.
1: I've not seen that movie actually.
0: Oh my God. All right. It's going to be, I know about it. It'll be your number one. I think it'll be your number one. It's really him
1: him and Kevin Hart obviously have great chemistry. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's good. I like, 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 you know, it's just, it's not
0: just that that. it's It's the the story. It's the story of the movie. It like sends a message and like the other actors in it are great um, the story itself is really interesting and fun. It's, it's really good. It's, ah, it's really
1: good. It's very interesting. It's an interesting time for the rock because black Adam failed mm-hmm. and he had a bunch of drama around that. And the people are raising like, what is the rocks franchise role? He doesn't really have it. And so the idea of him going back into the fast franchise or something like that is kind of like, that's kind of the one that stands out. He hasn't really, that's not even his though years. I know. That's what I'm saying. The last couple of years, The Rock's status in Hollywood has really taken a hit. You know, he's had some duds. Things haven't worked out. He's taken some big swings. And so he kind of, kind of waiting to see if he bounces back in a big way.
0: Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, um, I didn't think that I'm forgetting the name of the show. Actually. Was it Playmakers? No, it wasn't Playmakers. No, the show on HBO, Spencer Strassmore, Ballers. Ballers. Ballers was Watchable, but it wasn't great by any means. Young Rock mm-hmm. had its episodes where it was Young kind Rock of fun. Was
1: it the, was actually really
0: good. The last season with the whole storyline with the coffee, it was, Young Young Rock was a really weird show. It definitely had its moments. but I can't it,
1: believe that show was, I cannot believe that show was on NBC. It,
0: it, yeah, it didn't <laughs> seem like an NBC. It was really, really odd. Um, and you're right, like Hobbs and Shaw, I didn't think was good at all. Um, Black Adam completely bombed. He got a lot of heat from DC fans were trying to screw up stuff with Superman and this and that and, and, Shazam. And I don't even really know that stuff. I know I'm talking about it and people are like Silver King, you're getting all this wrong. I'm sorry. I don't know the DC stuff. Okay. I, I don't no, really, you
1: actually had that right. You did. You did have that right. Okay.
0: So I, I, I know I mentioned the right names, but I don't know Shazam. I think and black Adam are supposed to feud and he didn't watch Shazam in his right. movie. Okay, fine. So all that type of stuff. Anyway, um, you're right. It's been like this downward, not spiral, but trajectory for the rock and Hollywood and he needs something to pull him out of that and i don't know man maybe wrestlemania 40 he can pull him out of that i doubt that'll happen but it would be cool for the rock to do something with wwe kind of kind of just reset himself i don't i don't even exactly know what it would be uh, he does have some really interesting films coming out if you look at his imdb page but i thought that this was an interesting question just given i did tweet about fast x that i just happened to see. and um yeah i was curious what your thoughts were for his your favorite movies and TV show appearances that he's done as well. So there you go, folks. That was the last word. And that wraps up this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. On the way out, let me give you a quick note about our schedule. We will have one additional episode this week, NXT, and AEW on Thursday. The Silver King is taking a much-needed, and I will say for myself, well-deserved vacation. Uh, So instead of doing two shows while I'm gone, I'm only going to do one again that will come out on Thursday. We did send a Getting Over questionnaire on Twitter at Getting Overcast. For anyone who didn't vote or provide your survey responses, feel free to do that. One of the questions was about the NXT and AEW show, what we should do about that. And the responses were basically... Even across the board. So, you guys didn't really help me in that regard. But, nevertheless, I appreciate everyone who responded to that survey. I'll leave it up for another uh, 24 hours. Of course, this is Tuesday when we tape the podcast. But don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis highlights, all that good stuff. Also, please remember this podcast is all about DeFi. So, leave those five star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify on Apple. If you leave a five star written review, we will read it live right here on the show. Just like we did earlier. Also, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well. So for only five bucks a month, if you want, you can become an official Getting Overhead. Visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over and sign up. You get bonus audio, news posts, and so much more. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We will be back on Thursday with your next show. And then next Tuesday, same bat time, same bat channel with your next WWE edition. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.